Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Let's get into uh, a very interesting storyline. Tom Dundon, he was on yesterday, the Canes owner with Kyle Bailey, talking about how he is open to Charlotte or Raleigh. Whatever his group determines is the best option to push for to try to bring a Major League Baseball team to the state of North Carolina. Who better to talk about this with than a guy that understands sports business locally than Eric Spanberg, the managing editor at the Charlotte Business Journal, and an all-around good guy. He joins us to discuss this situation. Eric, what's going on, man? How you been? Hey, doing great. How are y'all? We're doing what's Other than some of these struggling offenses that we're watching play football. <laughs> we're doing all right. Hey, I, I went to the NC State game Friday night. I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I, I said, if you are a Wolfpack slash Panther fan, man, I feel for you right Eric, now. Usually the uh, Charlotte baseball topic comes up in mid-July, but here we are, early October, <laughs> giving you a call there. This is interesting. Interesting. Is there a coincidence? I think not. Um, okay, so Tom Dundon is the reason why you're here, because this is very interesting. Interesting. Uh, this is a guy that brings some clout. Uh, he owns the most successful pro team in in the state of North Carolina. I don't think Low any bar, of us, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of us can argue that. What do you think about this situation? Let's start first with the obvious one that we're going to get into later. He's he says he's open minded, but he wants to determine what's the best city to push to try to get the expansion franchise. Is it Charlotte or is it Raleigh? What's your feeling on that? We're all kind of biased to Charlotte. Do you have a feeling on which city is better and, and what and, and why? I would tend to think Charlotte is better because you have a centralized location for a ballpark. The thing about the triangle that's always difficult is you have to drive 30 minutes to another suburb Um you know, to 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 kind of get everybody rounded up, uh, but that that's not to say it couldn't work in the yeah. triangle. I mean, the two, the two markets are almost identical in size. They both are growing rapidly. They both have plenty of uh, you know strong businesses, young professionals moving there. Uh, but you know, if pressed, I would probably say Charlotte. But I could see Major League Baseball in the triangle as well. Mm-hmm. Eric, this is kind of a twofold, a twofold question about, you said, a centralized location for a baseball stadium. Where, where are some options of where it could be? And people were asking earlier, the night Stadium, that can't be renovated, right, to be Major League ready? Right. Right. I think the Knights ballpark is roughly an eight-acre site. That's not going to be big enough to build a Major League stadium, even though ballparks now – as we know, are, are smaller, they're shrinking, but they're not shrinking that much. I think you have several options in and around Uptown. You look at the land that uh, Daniel Levine owns over there by uh, what used to be 100,000 years ago, Dixie's Landing, I think was the name of the place. Now, and then it was Google Fiber. Now there's something else there. Uh, so anyway, you know, you can just look at the parking lots uh, that are around Uptown. Those would be 
prospective sites. Also, you could go, you know, to the edge of Uptown. There's there's plenty of land. So I, I think if you have a Major League Baseball team, somebody's going to be able to figure out where to put them and, and to get them into the central part of the city. I, You know, I think the bigger questions are the ones that y'all are probably already asking, which is, you know, how much uh, support can you get for weeknight games? Uh, wh- what's the appetite given all the other sports teams and options you have here? And, oh, by the way, who's going to pay for this thing? I think one of the interesting things you mentioned, Tom Dundon, Obviously, he's wealthy compared to, say, some hack who writes about business in Charlotte, but <laughs> he's not David Tepper. You know, he's not uh, a lot of these guys. I mean, his, his net worth has been estimated between $1 and $2 billion. Well, this next, next expansion phase will probably go for two and a quarter billion each team. Sure, he has a lot of wealthy friends. Maybe that's where he is uh, going to draw from, but it's a much different world between NHL and Major League Baseball, and I'll, I'll stop uh, in just a second, but I, I would add, you know, when he bought the Hurricanes, who, as you said, have done really well, he paid $420 million for them. Yeah. That's, you know, a long way Big from $2.25 He said yesterday, Eric, he says, I don't want to, um, you know, basically sound like so, um, uh, you know, like, like I have no perspective on how this sounds to the regular person, but he said, raising $2 billion dollars Really shouldn't be that difficult. Oh, wow, difficult. of course. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, it shouldn't really be that hard, but I do understand that's a lot of money to everybody. Eric, you, you know? don't have to remind me where Dixie's used to be. I've been carried out of there multiple times back in the day. <laughs> they could put home plate right where Bone passed oh, out yeah, one there's, time. There's a chalk, 2008, there's a chalk outline of a night where I, I may have almost perished there. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, man, Dixie's was a classic. <laughs> I just didn't want to date myself. I forgot that you have, uh, how should we put this? A Hall of Fame track record of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. no doubt about I it. I may have shut it down, actually. <laughs> we got Eric Spanberg, a Charlotte Business Journal, with us talking about Kane's owner, Tom Dundon. And, and by the way, you can check out the interview on online of the podcast uh, of KB talking to Tom Dundon yesterday about his attempts to get baseball in the state of North Carolina. And he wants to do the research to figure out what the best avenue to go. Do you push Raleigh, which is near and dear to his heart, or, or do you push for Charlotte? Let's tell into some of the things, the questions you were bringing up. Um, we had Will, Willie P was in here co-hosting yesterday, and he was he was playing the skeptic. He was saying, "I don't know about those midweek games," and you brought that up. Uh, the people in Raleigh seem to throw it in our face that we have the three pro sports teams. Well, your entertainment dollars stretch more than ours from a professional standpoint. How worried are you about like those things, and like, or do you fear at all that it wouldn't succeed here? No, I don't, because I, I think that uh, the, the key here for either area is you're adding population. You know, that, that's what you want. Th- th- these are really simple calculations when we when we talk about expansion, because, uh, as you said, every July we have this conversation, right? People <laughs> yeah. start talking about how, uh, well, <laughs> people love the Knights or people like the Braves or this isn't. Forget all of that, Okay. What you have to look at is, are there people, are there companies, is there money, is it growing? That's what sports leagues are looking at, and it checks all those boxes. Now, I'm not saying that there are going to be 35,000 people in that ballpark every night, but hey, do any of you watch Major League Baseball? Look around. Even though they just had a record attendance season 
they they grew by I think twelve uh, percent over last year. Seventy one million fans. They had a great year. But if you turn on a Nationals game or a Brewers game or a White Sox game or I can name you know fifteen other teams midweek, there just aren't that many people there. They make their money on the weekend. So I don't think that's a big concern. But I do think you have to uh, consider that there are three major league teams here, that you've got golf, that you maybe have a major tennis event. So, you know, is it going to be easy? I wouldn't say that, but I do think it can work. Eric, one question on the Panthers, because obviously the the record and the losses irks David Tepper a lot. But how upsetting do you think it is from a business side, and we talk about it often, of the constant fan takeovers from other teams. Max said the other day, you look at the stadium, the whole there's a whole entire level where PSL owners should be, and it's other fans. How irked is Tepper by that side of things right now, you think? I, I would imagine he's irked by all of it. You know, since we're not hearing from him, uh, it's hard to know. But, look, no matter how much money you have and how much money you're going to make, because whenever he sells this team, we all know he's going to make a lot more than what he put into it is – every owner pretty much does it, it it has to be galling that you're in year six you're zero and four and then you're watching the other team's fans celebrate uh while you sit glumly in your box and hope for better sunday so yeah i, I don't think he could be having any fun just as a lot of the fun and a lot of the fun a lot of the fans aren't having any fun so there's a tongue twister <laughs> <laughs> and we aren't that was a fair uh, sounds like i've been to dixie's tavern this morning doesn't yeah it? seriously yeah, you bring till, dixie's back wait till our baseball team gets rolling here uh, oh yeah, yeah that's when we get the winner we have people already predicting north carolina's major league team will win a world series before any of the charlotte teams uh win a championship <laughs> hey, Eric, you can do it you can do a piece on this and give me credit i suggested years ago they call them the charlotte orange barrels or the Charlotte, <laughs> the Charlotte Cones, or something that really gets the vibe. I know the Knights had a whole thing about that, but I said it years ago. The Charlotte Barrels, that's that's your name right there. I, I tell you what is interesting about this story that we're talking about. I have been waiting for the past year or two as we've started to see the Tampa Bay and uh, Oakland situation start to resolve themselves. By the way, kudos to the Tampa Bay fans yesterday. Lowest turnout for a postseason game in the century, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could top Tampa in baseball passion and turnout, for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. but but with Tom Dunn, at least someone is finally, God, here comes this awful pun that we'll hear a billion times, stepping up to the plate because North Carolina, it's just been crickets in terms of Major League Baseball and who wants a team. And this is the ninth most populous state. Uh, it is a clear gap in the Major League Baseball map. So at least finally someone is coming out and saying something while Nashville's been making all this noise for, yeah. what, at least five years. Uh, finally, North Carolina is, is kind of getting in the game. So let's see where this goes. Because uh, the, the other thing, without boring you all too much more, is, you know, there are six, seven major league markets right now that have the same population or smaller populations than Raleigh or Charlotte. So North Carolina should be in this conversation. Absolutely. And I love it. I love that we got a fairly heavy hitter, right, in the world of of, yep. of, of professional sports that's stepping up. And the fans seem to be saying, good thing it's not Tepper or Michael Jordan. So there's <laughs> – can you tell we're bitter? Can you tell we're bitter in the city of Charlotte? So we'll see what happens. I'm rooting for the best. Thank you, brother. We, we appreciate you, man. Y'all take care. Listen to Matt.
and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Just in case you missed it earlier this week on the Wesson Walker Show. Hunter Bailey, he talks about the Charlotte 49ers on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We appreciate Hunter Bailey as well joining us to talk a little bit about the Charlotte 49er football program. Hunter, we appreciate it. How are you doing, man? Doing good, man. Two days I've talked to you in a row. What's going on? I know. What's up, baby? What's going on, Hunter? That is a man on the <laughs> guest line with a lot of responsibility. Not only is he covering the Charlotte 49ers, but he's also covering the Charlotte Hornets this upcoming season. We announced the job on these airwaves, so of course we're going to have Hunter Bailey on. I think we're going to start doing this weekly as long as Hunter is able to do so. Talk about the 49ers, maybe a little Hornets here and there. So again, he'll be joining us every Wednesday at 12 45. But of course, I wanted to focus on the 49ers here, Hunter. It's not been a great start, even if there has been a pretty tough schedule that the 49ers have faced. How would you describe the start to this season for Biff Pogey? Yeah, you're right, man. It has been, it's been tough. You look at, at Maryland, at Florida, and at SMU, who has just now accepted a bid to join the ACC next year. So you're looking tough road games. Uh, you drop all three of those. Uh, you say good teams win, great teams cover. Charlotte has covered in all three of those, uh, but did drop at home to Georgia State. So off to a one and four start, a much needed bye week this week for sure. So for me, Hunter, I know we talked about this a little bit. I feel like this upcoming game, like you, you get past a couple power five opponents, you compete against them. You get past SMU, which when you were in these studios, we discussed how how much we thought of them coming into the season. But now you're in the you're, you're getting into the heart of conference play. I feel like now if you don't start winning and competing and having a chance in every game, this is when I think I'm going to start losing confidence in what they could accomplish this year. Now I feel like there's enough of a baked-in excuse, but if, if they don't win in this next game and they don't compete, then I think people are going to start to fall off the bandwagon. Would you agree with that? Definitely. I mean, you see the buy-in for this still, right? Saturday's game, the 14th uh, against Navy, is a sellout, it's homecoming. And the expectations have been there, and that's that started by the Poji kind of taking a job and saying, hey, look, we, we're planning to play 15 games this year. If I don't win the AAC, I'm not the man for the job. And now you're kind of at that crossroads of, you're right, hey, we're, we're one and four. We got to compete in and win some of these games, or you risk the possible result of losing the locker room, struggling in year one, and then kind of setting up that year two with some uncertainty, you know? 
Hunter Bailey joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Hunter underscore Bailey 45. And Hunter, my thing too with this offense, question marks at quarterback still remain. Jalen Jones, we know that he hasn't been able to get the job done. Flashed a little bit at times. Trexler Ivy came in and gave the offense a little bit of a spark. But then you look at the Oklahoma transfer, Micah Bowens that hasn't been able to really see the field like that. Also, true freshman Carson Black. Is there any chance that we will see any of these quarterbacks going forward? Or is it going to be Jones still uh, the incumbent starter and then Trexler Ivy getting his chances? I believe you could see Micah Bowen. So he he's kind of started to learn this offense, right? He started at Penn State, moved to Oklahoma, and is now at Charlotte. Uh, he's been serving as the scout team quarterback. I believe he'll move up to quarterback number three this week, as we can see potentially Dom Schaffner moving to maybe receiver, running back type of deal. Uh, I think it's still uh, Jalen Jones and Trexler Ivy's jobs, I guess, to lose. And and you hit, a, hit the nail on the head. Both these quarterbacks do certain things well. Neither one of them are as efficient and as consistent as Biff Bogey likes. And that's why you see such a short leash. And I mean, Jones takes a sack, he gets subbed out. Ivy takes a sack, he's subbed out. The leash is so short, there's no time to build confidence. When you look at these two players, Jalen Jones has been with five OCs over five years, just learning Mike Miller's system. And then you look at Trex or Ivy, this kid's a redshirt sophomore that's not even on a scholarship. Uh, so obviously you've got to find ways to build confidence for these guys. And I think whether it's getting the string game going early, whether it's getting quick, easy reads for them to make decisions, you've got you to find ways to help help them feel comfortable on the field and not know, you know, hey, if I make this mistake, I'm yanked and I, and I might not see the field again. And so when you look at this roster, 12 four-star transfers, 49 transfers that had three or more stars, is it a case where it's starting to become a sobering thought that these guys had to transfer from their institutions for a reason? Or do you feel like that this is a team just on the cusp of winning football games if they can just tweak a few things here and there? Oh, I think they're on the cusp. And, and you look at a lot of the games, right? You look at Maryland, you jump out to that 14-0 lead, and Yabi Oki transfer from Michigan said that. I mean, they kind of took a kind of took a breath. Like, we're up on these guys. You see Maryland come back, rattle off 38 unanswered. Then Charlotte goes to Florida, hangs with Florida. They're right there in the game. They really lost it in the middle eight of that game. Uh, and then you travel to SMU where it was really never a game. Last Saturday's game was kind of the first time you saw Charlotte look like a troublesome team in all three phases of the game. And I think, like I say, this bye week gives you that extra week of preparation for Navy. You know the triple option's coming. You know you've got to get a win at home. And I, like I say, I think they're close, and that's not really just coach talk. That's We've seen them make strides, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They've just got to find a way to score touchdowns, man. And when you're playing four games against FCS or FBS teams and you haven't scored three touchdowns, it's a hard win, especially in today's college football. Well, and Hunter, I feel like if their identity is going to be a strong defense and trying to run the football with some play action sprinkled here and there, man, I feel like that offensive line has to perform better than what they have. What would your assessment be of the offensive line and how it can play moving forward in this system? Definitely. And Texan with some former players, they've, they've said, like, we're not Michigan. We don't have this rich recruiting tradition of getting big four- and five-star offensive linemen like schools like Iowa and other programs in the Big Ten have done, Wisconsin, et cetera. 
And so when you look at a team like Charlotte, they returned two starters from last year, one of which was Johnny King, the center. Then you add four new pieces around them, including a Division II transfer, a UCLA transfer who never played with the Bruins. You're you're not talking about huge guys, huge names coming in on the O-line. And that's, I mean, you look at quarterback as an issue and you look at offensive line. If they can recruit there, I mean, you heard Deion Sanders say it with Colorado, we need about eight or nine dogs. And when he's talking about eight or nine dogs, he's talking about the big guys up front. And that's exactly what this program needs. And they can't play their style of football without that. And that's the biggest issue right now. Hunter, do you feel like that with them playing Maryland and Florida early, was it that much more disheartening when they did lose to SNU? Because do you feel like that some of the tough games at the beginning of this schedule will help them to be able to get some wins later down the line, seeing the competition that they've seen? Definitely, man. This is a this is a front loaded schedule. You look at it, you just mentioned SMU, Florida, Maryland. Now you get three one win teams in a row. You get Navy, you get East Carolina, and then you get Florida Atlantic. And don't get me wrong, these aren't slouch schools. And then in the back end of the schedule, you've got Rice, USF, schools that have traditionally struggled. There are some wins there. You could really go on a run there. And like to play the optimism card, Charlotte was two and five in 2019. They won five straight to go to a bowl game. So there is hope for that, especially with a front-loaded schedule. And that's that's kind of Mike Hill's deal with scheduling. He wants to play two Power Five teams a year because when they get those wins, Circle Duke 2021. It does so much for the program, but they are going to take their lumps in the non-conference as they continue to grow. All right, Hunter, last thing for me, just how impact, uh, how impactful are the injuries that Charlotte has suffered on the defensive side? They've lost a couple guys, especially on the interior. When you look at like Jalar Holly, a Miami transfer, Julius Walshoff has been in and out, a Michigan transfer. They do have, and I will say this, Walker, and as long as you watch Charlotte football, I think you might can attest to this. This is the deepest team they've had. They have literally quality depth at every position, whether corner through defensive end. They have so many options. And you see defensive coordinator Ryan Osborne playing so many people. I mean, there's 22, 23 guys that are playing on defense a game, and that's what you need. Uh, so the injuries are definitely happening. They're Stack it up a little bit, but as I said, you got this week to get healthy and then take these last seven games in stride. Yeah, defensively for sure. It's as deep as they've been in a long time. Maybe not offensively, but defensively, you're totally right about that. That is the voice of Hunter Bailey on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Follow this man on Twitter, at Hunter underscore Bailey, also hosting a podcast that you can find on his timeline as well. The latest episode of the Highway 49 podcast, you can find anywhere you get your pods. Hunter, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Talk to you guys next week. All right, Hunter. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. I want to get to second take Tuesday, but Wes, I think we got a bunch of good comments on the text line. Okay. I think we have some good questions I want to roll with. We were talking about it during the break. Bagel guy wrote in, can we be honest? Do we think it would look any better if Stroud was here in the same situation as Bryce Young? Because I don't. Bagel guy does not think it would look any better with CJ Stroud in place of Bryce Young. How different do you think it would look? Um, 
this is the thing, man. A lot of people I've been hearing now, I hear different opinions, and it's like people think that the Texans were supposed to be two and two. People think that the Texans were going to be a really good team in the AFC now. Uh, people think C.J. Stroud's production is just a byproduct from this awesome Texas offense, and I think that people need to stop fooling themselves because C.J. Stroud has had to deal with the banged-up offensive line all season long. They haven't had their uh, original starting lineup at all this season. I believe they've had three to four guys out most of the year, including Laramie Tunsil. So he's been playing with the makeshift uh, offensive line all year long. He's still up there in the league. When you talk about uh, quarterback ratings, and uh, he's got two third-round receivers. I mean, when you look at his passer rating versus man coverage, he's number one in the NFL, 139.4. This guy's out there getting it done with a makeshift off, off, makeshift offensive line. Nico Collins was a third-round pick. Don't sit here and tell me you thought Nico Collins was on the cusp of blowing up and turning into uh, one of these big wideouts. Tank Dale also is a third-rounder. I love Tank, but still, let's not act like that C.J. Stroud is just playing with this uh, insulated offense full of great weapons and this great offensive line. Nobody thought the Texans were going to be 2-2 two and two at this point, and a lot of that has to do with Stroud and what he's brought getting those young guys going. I read that he invites the guys to uh, dinner every night. Let me make sure I've, I've got that right. But they said he invites the guys uh, over for dinner. Yeah, almost every night. They said for dinner with his private chef. They said this was something that he did at Ohio State. You saw the comments he made post game talking about Pittsburgh and sending them home with the L. I mean, the kid's special. That's all That's all you can say, man. And, and he's got the Texans going. And Anthony Richardson is another one, too. Like, the completion percentage might not be what you want, but let's not act like he's playing behind a powerhouse of an offense either. I guess here's here's my question, though, too. I've been using that phrase a lot lately. I'm just going to ask the question instead of setting up the table and saying, yeah, here's how I'm going to do it. But what it is with me, you're right about that. I think we disagree on this just philosophically. You're totally right. And I'm with you on everybody acting like the Texans were always going to have this better offensive line. They were always going to have a better situation. The only group that would be ranked behind the Carolina Panthers pass catchers when you would go to PFF, ESPN, whatever publication, whatever, it would be the Texans skill group. It would be. It'd be Panthers 31. And if there was a team below them, it would be the Texans. That's all true. But it doesn't mean it can't change. Mm Mm-hmm. And Nico Collins is legitimately balling, okay? Yes. Like, separation, point of attack. Nico Collins is out here. If if we want to do the whole PFF grading system, he's fourth in the league, which is astonishing. And if you just want to watch his tape, yeah, forget the numbers, right? You don't want all these advanced stats. Stop, stop hitting me with your nerd stats, which is totally fine. <laughs> just watch him. Nico Collins is out here balling. Wes Tank Dell, he's helping you immediately. And by the way, Tank Dell wasn't even supposed to start. I believe it was Noah Brown who got hurt that allowed Tank Dell to get Not some to of the. Not to he has a defensive coach, too. Yep. No, you do. And and people are loving what the offensive coordinator is doing for them. I forget his name. I'll look it up. But people are really liking him as a play caller. But so, so things can change, though, right? Like, I think there's room for both. No, it's not okay to say, oh, the Texans were always going to have a better situation. Nah, man, nobody was saying that. Nah, I can't, I don't know if I can go to one single football analyst that was saying the Texans situation was going to be better. But we can agree now that it is, right? Like Tank Dell, Nico Collins. Wes, your third wide receiver is like Adam Thielen with Robert Woods. Like that's your third guy. KG Vet. Yeah. 
And and Tank Dell and Nico Collins are out here helping C.J. Stroud. And by the way, C.J. Stroud is performing well himself. He is not just a product of his system. He is out here allowing that system to flourish as well as much as it has. So I do think there's truth to both. Nobody was expecting the Texans to be this good, even the surrounding pieces. But it's true that it is now. It's true that it is now. And if you flip them, hmm, Adam Thielen as your best receiver, who's performed better than I thought and has legitimately been very good to start the season for sure. It still is a worse wide receiver group, regardless of what we thought coming into the year. Well, the thing is, what you get from that Texans wide receiver core is speeding youth. And that's the thing that kind of separates him a little bit. You got Tank Dale that's a jitterbug out there. Just nobody can stay in front of the guy. Nico Collins is another guy that's got good speed, too, and he's young. So I think that's the difference when you look at the skill sets, not to mention they invested in Dalton Schultz coming over from Dallas this year. But I think another thing, too, man, and it's a good question to ask, are the coaching staffs different in terms of trust level? Because... Running Rand on the text line says, Wes, I get all your points. Let's face it, if Stroud was here, he would not look either. I guess he was trying to say better. But the thing is, I feel like the C.J. Stroud is letting it go. And we saw when Andy Dalton played against Seattle, and he was just letting it go. The offense looked much better. Guys were making plays down the field. Dalton was testing the defense and throwing the football down the field and wasn't afraid to let it fly. And I think when you watch C.J. Stroud, that's what you see. You see him getting out there. He looks like a vet. Now, is that because... Because we heard during the offseason about how good he was playing. We heard all of these things about how this offense with him at the quarterback had the potential of looking when you talk about just his accuracy and how he was playing during the spring. But you but you thought, it's camp, whatever, everybody looks great on air, whatever the case may be. But he's really throwing it around with fantastic accuracy. And I think it's either a combination of the Panthers are gearing the – the, the coaching towards Bryce playing a more conservative style and the Texans are not, I guess you could say that. But then also too, it's an exercise in offensive line coaching because they've played, like I said, with three to four yeah. replacements all season long. The Steelers came into that game with one of the best pass rushes in all of football. They didn't touch CJ Stroud. He didn't get sacked. And so that's another thing you look at too, is the coaching yeah. there or is it just because they're playing with backups, like, their backup offensive linemen are playing better than Carolina's starters. So it's then you look at, okay, is it coaching? Is it personnel? Like, these guys must have really done a hell of a job evaluating their linemen if their backups are coming in and playing the way that they're playing. 100%. And that's why it's impressive what the Texans were able to do in the first four games of C.J. Stroud's career. Because you're right, the offensive line has been banged up. And they've always had the best left tackle. Larry Mutunsel is one of the best blindside protectors in the league, but you're right. He's really good out of that gas mask. He's been hurt, yeah. <laughs> should have been looking should have been looking away from the gas mask and just go ahead and selected him because who cares, man? Yeah, <laughs> like he's a baller. I mean, if you had to redo it now, yeah, you just select him and the gas you, you might even get a, a plane ticket for the gas mask to roll alongside him. Make sure that can come with it too if he's yeah. playing like that. Who cares, man? Like that's how well he's playing, but he's hurt and so CJ Stroud is still making do with what is an offensive line that shouldn't be as good as they've been performing. I don't even know how well they've been performing. Really, to me, Wes, it's the coaching and the wide receivers that have taken a big old step up from what we thought we were going to get at the beginning of the season. And if you look at coaching here with Bryce Young, let's play the one Joe Person soundbite that we didn't get to in the opener here, Fiddy, because I asked him, all right, everybody is clamoring for Thomas Brown to take over play calling duties right now. 
it's been that bad for Bryce Young. People want Thomas Brown to be that guy. I asked Joe Person if he thought it was time. I mean, I don't think Frank Reich's going to do that. Um, this is his, you know, he built his own reputation on play calling. And, I mean, I suppose, I don't even know if it got to the point where if, if he was forced to give up play calling this early, if Reich would do it. Um, but, you know, that that's, if it keeps going down this road, then absolutely. That, that I think you're going to hear the, the news, or excuse me, the noise and the clamoring get just louder and louder. I like that he said even if he was forced to, he doesn't even think he would do it at this point in time. But if you get, you know, five more games into it, however many you want to put on it, that's the time you might see play calling duties exchange hands. Joe Person would also go on to say he's not out on Bryce after four games. He's not out on Frank Reich as a play caller. We've talked about it, Wes. We've seen him have success with a bunch of different quarterbacks. It doesn't mean that we just absolve him from all the poor play calling, all the poor game plans that he's schemed up so far. But there's something there with Frank Reich possibly needing to hand this over to Thomas Brown. A lot of people have questioned, is is he just because it didn't look bad against Seattle. They just didn't run it. But nobody was had a problem with the route combinations and the scheme against Seattle. It was just all about running the ball. And so is there this? Whew, does he really not want Bryce Young so much to the point where he doesn't trust his quarterback alongside everything else around this offense? And that's why you and I both hypothesized, yeah, it looks like Frank Reich is calling the game scared of everything. Yeah, and that's just not what you wanted to see, especially from everything we heard in preseason. Remember way back when, during training camp, when we heard that they said that he was so far ahead of the curve that they were adding things to the mm-hmm. playbook? Mm-hmm. Like, that was wild. They said, most guys you hear, they're like, yeah, man, we can run everything in our playbook. And that's where it stopped. We took but it Bryce, as positive. They said, we can go what we have and beyond that. So I was expecting them to be able to come out, score points, not necessarily be the number one offense in the NFL, but have a very competent offense in Bryce Young to look like in the vein of what you're seeing from Stroud and Richardson. But we haven't seen that. It's a very vanilla offense, and I think that is kind of a byproduct of Frank Reich maybe not trusting the pick all the way, maybe not trusting Bryce all the way with what he can do. And I think at this point, once you're on four, you got to take the handcuffs off, man. Take the kid gloves off, kid gloves off, and just let him go out there and play his game, man, and let the chips fall how they may. We saw some of the improvisation, and uh, we'll get to some of that stuff when we break down some of these plays, but we saw what he can do when he's off platform, like the word that everybody likes to use. Now we know that that's kind of his game. And when he's at his best, they got to let Bryce just trust him a little bit more to see what he can get out there and do. And maybe that's why they want to go grab a top flight receiver perhaps so that they can feel more comfortable doing that. But uh, yeah, it looks like there's definitely something up as far as what do they trust Bryce to do? You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to three. Sit tight and stay locked because instant replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. 
only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Panthers-Lions on Sunday. That's going to be a hot ticket in the Motor City. Mostly because the Lions are good and fun to watch. Us here in Carolina, not so much. We're hoping to get right, but Detroit's not an ideal place to do that this weekend. Let's talk about it all. With Lions legend, former All-Pro offensive tackle, Super Bowl champ, and on 97.1, the ticket to flagship for the Lions. He is the radio color analyst on the Lions radio network. Our good buddy Lomas Brown is back for the first time in a couple of years, and it's good to have him back. Lomas, how you been, brother? I'm great. It's great to be back with you guys. I miss you guys. I'm, we miss you too. We we haven't had many opportunities to talk to you, if I'm being honest. So, I mean, now now we've got a chance to talk to you. We saw you in the preseason, and we're going to see you in the regular season. But talk to me about the story of the Detroit Lions. To go from 1-6 and six last year and looking on the verge of firing the coach and starting over again, to making that run to 9-8, and eight, beating the Chiefs in the opener, doing what they've done so far this year. I mean, what, what kind of job has Dan Campbell done up there, in your estimation, as a former player? Oh, that's my guy. I mean, it's just amazing. And what amazes me is the short period of time that that him and Brad Holmes have gotten this done. I mean, you almost, it's it's almost been a transformation of this whole organization, like you said, from the players to the administration, all the way down. It's just been a change. And the culture is different here. It used to be same old Lions. The people expected bad things to happen with the Lions and for the Lions. And now it's just totally different now. People expect us to go out there and win. People are excited about the future around here with this football team. And it's great. It really is because these fans deserve it. They've been, we've been going through a lot. Over the last 30-some-odd years, it would be great if the Lions could just keep this momentum going and really take this the rest of the season. There are good players on this roster, and, and we want to talk about them. But you and I both know, especially in this age of football, that it all starts and ends with the quarterback position. Jared Goff went from making the Super Bowl in, early in his career in L.A., to being discarded basically in a trade for Matt Stafford, and we're watching him resurrect his career up there. What's behind that resurrection, and, I mean, just how much better has he gotten? Man, the dude is tough. That's the one thing I, I'll put with him is tough. You know, and he's resilient, man. And that's what you have to be to play this game of football. That's what you have to be to be a leader. And that's what you have to be to be considered a leader here in Detroit. We got blue-collar, hard-working people here in Detroit. And they don't accept anything but their players to be the same way that this city is. And that's, I think, Jared has embraced that. I think he's taken a hold of that, and he exemplifies what we're trying to get built here in Detroit, which is, like I say, resilient people. We may get knocked down, but we sure are going to get up each and every time, and that's Jared Goff, and he fits in beautifully here in the Motor City. I, I think so. we got Lomas Brown with us, former All-Pro tackle in Detroit, Super Bowl champ, Lions Radio Network. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Ben Johnson 
He's a guy that we looked at pretty hard down here last offseason when we were hiring a new head coach with Carolina. I say we like I had anything to do with it, but he was a name that we talked about here. Uh, We talked about him quite a bit, and he ultimately opted to stay up there. How enormous was that? And just give me your evaluation of the job he's done as both a play caller but also a potential head coach somewhere. Oh, my God, yes, man. You could just see him growing. And you're right, man. He he is so innovative. It's just unbelievable some of the plays that he designs, some of the schemes that he comes up with, and the way he's able to utilize each and every player in that scheme and put them in the ultimate position to have success. It's just amazing to me. And you can see some of his other skills coming around, his leadership uh, skills. You can see that coming around. You can see how he communicates with everybody. You can see that coming around. So he's definitely, I think if we do what we are projected to do this year, he won't be back next year. Neither do I expect Aaron Glenn to be back next year because these will be two of the hottest coaching head coaching candidates that could be out there next year um yeah i mean he's a charleston south carolina native he had fans down here that's for sure um but i I think they were obviously very happy to have him back what's the thing about this team that maybe nationally you don't think enough people are talking about we know the coach we know the quarterback we can point to some of the players but you know what's been the x factor for this group to get off to a quick start so for me i i just think it's these guys ability I I think in the past, what happened is, if Detroit, the Lions, us, going all the way back, if you didn't get off to a good start in the game, pretty soon you would kind of like, same old Lions kind of seep in. Here we go again. Uh, What could go bad would go bad. And that's different now. People don't expect bad things to happen to this team. This team doesn't expect bad things to happen. Like I told somebody before, they don't carry the baggage of what we carry. These young guys, they've been carrying since 1991 the only playoff victory. Since 
My God, I mean, they're, they're fourth in the league in yards allowed, first in the league in rushing yards allowed, second in rushing yards per attempt. I mean, this is a salty defense up there in Detroit. And uh, I'm just curious, based on what you saw in the preseason and maybe what little you've seen of the Panthers' offensive struggles through the first couple of weeks, you give us any chance to score points, Lomas? You know what? I, I'm telling you, I give you guys a chance if they can keep Bryce Young clean. That's that that's that's gonna have to be your top priority. And I think the way you do that, keeping them clean, is to take the same thing that you guys did to us last year and pound the ball. We all know a running game is the best friend of a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, because anytime you put that young quarterback back to pass the ball, oh you better believe you he's gonna see a six, seven eight-man blitz sometimes. It doesn't matter because they know he doesn't have that experience. So you'll show him different exotic blitzes. I watched the Minnesota game last week against you guys and stuff. And Minnesota was sending everybody. It was sending Harrison Smith. You know, they were just sending different guys. They were lining up showing Bryce Young different looks. And you could see that it caused some confusion. You could see his feet got happy. And he was trying to get out of there before looking down the field. We got to do the same exact thing to him to have a chance. Because if the young man gets in rhythm, he is so accurate. He has a pretty ball. He can hurt you. So we're going to have to take that same game plan and get to him early and often. Well, I'm glad you said that. Because, I mean, I know you know how this goes up there. Matt Stafford was at one point in time the number one overall pick. And everybody was evaluating him and, you know, living and dying on every throw. And, you know, a guy that I think you know, who I host a podcast with, Roman Harper, former Saint Safety, was recalling that, you know, they played Matt Stafford in his NFL debut. And, um, you know, of course, Matt's a Super Bowl champion now. But back then, it was, you know, tough to know it because he threw three picks in his debut. Bryce hasn't done that yet. But, you know, there have been some questions about him already with certain parts of the fan base. Now, I think he can play. Uh, Steve Smith joined me on Monday. Steve's adamant that he can play. But I also know that players above anybody else can more quickly identify who can play and who can't. You've been around this league for a long time. When you watch Bryce Young, do you think he belongs in the NFL? Oh, absolutely. I'm telling you, give him some time back there. Let him be able to take a five-step drop and set his feet and, and throw the ball. I mean, yes. I mean, I see the talent. I see some of the tools that he has made. Made. Yes, he can. And so, but again, it's a learning curve coming in this league, and especially for quarterbacks. I'm, just a quick story. I blocked for Jake Plummer, Jake the Snake Plummer, when he came in the, in the league when I was in Arizona. Oh, my God. I don't forget who we played. But I'm telling you, I think it was one time they sent nine men at us. They just one-on-one the, um, the wide receivers and sent nine men. I had never seen nothing like that before in my life when they sent nine men at you. And stuff. So they do all these things when you're a young quarterback because, again, they know you hadn't seen these looks. They know you're not familiar with these things. And they know they're speeding up the clock. They're trying to speed up the clock in that young quarterback's head. So to me, again, the best thing that can happen to Bryce Young is you guys come out determined to run the balls at the Lions and have success doing it to where everything else can come off the run for Bryce. Play action pass, screen plays. You know, all the other things that Frank Wright and that coaching staff like to do on offense, 
they'll be able to do it if they're able to run the ball. Well, speaking of that, and last thing, Lomas, I'll let you go. As a former tackle, uh, and I, I hear just in the way that you're talking right now, you've done some prep work already this week. But do you have any thoughts on Iki Aquanu, the left tackle in his second year out of NC State? I mean, this is a massive human. They brought him in knowing that he could run block effectively right away. He even went like six games in the middle of his rookie year without allowing a sack. But he's off to a really rough start so far this year. Do you have any thoughts as a former tackle on what might be ailing him? Yeah, well, um, again, that's where I'm telling you. As a young guy, and I had to learn it the hard way, man. Now everybody has film on you. Everybody got film on you. Now they can study you more. Those defensive coordinators, they know they know some of the moves. Hey, jab step to the outside and come back to the inside because he has a tendency of dropping his inside foot. Or just rip him to the outside and make him bail out with his outside foot. You know, they know what to do now. They you know attack the inside pads of them. They got film on them now. When you first get in the league, they don't have film on you. You're almost like an oddity to these guys. NFL guys are smart. NFL defensive coordinators, D-line coaches, these guys are brilliant, man. They make adjustments to you. So guess what? The big fella got to make adjustments in his second year. He can't play like he played in his first year because that's not going to get it done because people are doing different things to him. So what he has to do is look at the film, evaluate the film, evaluate the guy that he has in front of him, and put his best things forward. Whether that means that's his three-step drop where he punches a guy in his chest, that's the best thing he do. Whether he's to sit back in a five-seven-step drop and keep the guy to the outside, if that's the best thing he does with those long arms, that's what you use. But you got to be able to switch it up in the NFL because guess what? The NFL stands for not so long, and it don't matter what position you're at. If you don't make adjustments, you won't be there for long.